Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. We're going to be just in a few verses in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, I want to just thank you for being with us this morning, but also the last couple of weeks. It's been kind of a, a full few uh, weeks here at Rock Hill and also in our, just as we celebrate these uh, moments of uh, Palm Sunday and then Resurrection Sunday, just some really great full days we've had. And uh, when, I, when I think about Easter, it makes me think about another great holiday that we celebrate as Christians, but also in our culture, and that's Christmas. All right, that didn't get anybody's attention. That's fine. You're still trying to figure out where Matthew is, I guess. But we're, I'm just so grateful for Christmas. You know, Christmas calories, you know what I'm talking about? How you, you just eat whatever you want and it doesn't count against you because you're celebrating the birth of Jesus. That's kind of how birthday cake works, but we're, I mean, I just love Christmas time and uh, Christmas calories and Christmas carols and all those things, Christmas, and um, I love giving gifts. I don't necessarily like getting gifts, but it's, it's nonetheless, because I know who's paying for those gifts that I receive from my kids, but nonetheless, I love uh, Christmas, and at Christmas time, um, it's fascinating because when you get your, like, Sunday school class together, or at least for us, when we had uh, college ministry, and you get college students together, you'd have You'd, you'd have kind of a fellowship, and so there's always this fellowship that takes place, and everybody brings, you know, finger foods and snacks and all that, but then you play a game. There's usually a game you play because it just kind of lightens the mood and makes things fun and joyful, and so there's a game that we played, and I was introduced to it really in, in like my teenage years, but then in college we played it with our BSM director, Baptist Student Ministry Director, and it's this game where uh, you, you go and you buy a present, and then you wrap it up real nice in, in a nice bag or a nice box. It's real pretty. You set it in the middle of the room. Everybody grabs a number, and that's kind of the order of which you go in. Then if you, if you grab the gift and, and, uh, and you like what somebody else grabs, you can, you can steal it, which is like that's against the Ten Commandments, but whatever. You steal it from them, uh, and then you, somebody else can try to steal it from you in multiple times. You know, it gets blocked. The, the game is called the White Elephant Gift. You all heard this game? Okay, good. Some of eight of you. That's good. Uh, but I remember in, in college we played, and, and we thought we'd play a funny joke. And so we went to the Dollar General, uh, and we went and got this gift that we thought nobody's going to want. It's going to be, everybody's going to have a roaring good time. And so uh, my friend and I kind of went, went in together because it was beyond the, the price limit. So we just kind of combined. We cheated, whatever. And it was a uh, toilet seat, a new toilet seat. I thought, no one's, this is great. This is going to be wonderful. But lo and behold, our, our college minister, the BSM director, was like, hey, like, I need that. Like, I'm stealing that, and nobody, and he was the adult in the room, so we're like, okay, whatever Andy says, we're, we're going to do. He's like, I, I literally need that, so please, nobody take it. But this white elephant gift, uh, the, the, the beauty of the white elephant gift is it has the perception of being something of great value, but when you get up close to it and you open it up, you realize... In most cases, it's not worth much at all. It could be uh, a roll of toilet paper. And, and I say that now, several years ago, that was worth like gold, all right? But usually a white elephant gift exchange is, it has the perception of something of great value, but up close in inspection, you begin to realize this is not worth having at all. What does that have to do with Matthew 21, 18 through 22? Jesus who has told parables. Parables are stories or accounts to drive home a spiritual truth. Jesus in Matthew 21, 18 through 22, is going to do an enacted parable, meaning he's going to demonstrate 
in action right then a parable. And we'll see it in the story of where he curses a fig tree. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 18. We'll put it on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you today, but if you're there, will you say word? Early in the morning as he was returning to the city, that's Jerusalem, he was hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And at once the fig tree withered. Verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they were amazed and said, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? And Jesus answered them, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. I've titled today's message, Fickle Faith. Fickle Faith. Jesus has come into town. He came on a Monday riding on a colt that had never been ridden before and it's called the triumphal entry. We, we celebrate it with Palm Sunday, and we do what you should do in a celebration in Texas. You eat brisket. So that's what we did two weeks ago. So are you hungry? All right. We don't have any today, but we'll, uh, I've just put it out there. But you have this reality where Jesus has come in, and our first point today is simply this, Jesus and fruit. Jesus and fruit. So Jesus comes in on a Monday, and then he we learn that he goes directly where all the other Jews in that town were headed, and that was to the temple. And why were they going to the temple? They were going to the temple to make sacrifices because the temple was the central hub or the location for where all the sacrifices would be made so that they could celebrate the Passover, celebrating the event that took place that the people of Israel were rescued, or Jews were rescued out of the slavery and bondage of Egypt and sent to, over a course of many years, to the promised land. And so Jesus walks into the temple, and we discussed what he did when he walked into the temple. He began to turn over tables and kick out the money changers' chairs uh, as they were taking advantage and extorting money from individuals as they were traveling. They were racking up the prices of the, the cost of doves so that those who came just to simply worship the Lord were being taken advantage of. And Jesus wants pure and authentic worship. And so, therefore, he was removing the barriers that kept people from worship. And then he invited the blind and the lame into the temple, the court of the Gentiles. And he heals them because he invites the broken, the lame, the blind into the places that they were not allowed to go into because Jesus removes the barriers. Now, that was all the setup to this. In verse 17, we learn that Jesus goes to Bethany. Now, why does he go to Bethany? Bethany is where his dear friends lived, Mary and Martha, and you guessed it, the third wheel of all the conversations, Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was his good friend, and he loved Jesus, and Jesus loved him. Jesus loved Mary, and Jesus loved Martha. They were his dear friends, and so he goes for the night to visit them, and we then learn in 18 that he's on his way back to Jerusalem, the city, 
And Jesus, along the way, we learn that he was hungry. One of the beautiful things about the Bible is that it shows us that Jesus felt many of the things that you felt. Jesus was hungry. Some of you are hungry right now. I'm sorry. Just hold off for a few more minutes, and then you can go and get you a little snacky snack, all right? It's what my mom always had, snacky snacks. And so you have to realize that Jesus is showing us his humanity here. That's not the point of the text, but Jesus is showing us his humanity. He was hungry. And Jesus walks up and he sees this fig tree and it's bearing out leaves. And Jesus here sees that it's bearing out leaves. And when a fig tree is bearing out leaves, it's giving a sign or an indication that it has fruit of which is edible. So, Jesus being hungry, he then sees a fig tree on the side of the road, and he walks up to it, believing that it would have fruit, but instead it had the appearance of fruit, but it had no fruit. Now, this account is not the only place that it takes place in the Gospels. This is the account from Matthew, and in Mark 11, it has, Mark 11, it has the same account. The difference, though, is the time frame, because here, Jesus is going to say something to the fig tree, and immediately it's going to wither, but in the, uh, Mark's account, it takes a couple of days before they recognize that the fig tree is dead, and some might try to argue, so that's why the Bible contradicts itself, but the point is not the time frame, the point is what happens happened to the fig tree. And so we have to just stand there and go, this is two different accounts or perspectives of what took place. But Jesus walks up and Jesus has very little patience for things that appear to have fruit, but in reality are actually dead. Jesus has very little patience for things that appear to have fruit, but in reality are dead. And so Jesus looks at this fig tree and look what it says. He was hungry and seeing a lone tree, fig tree by the road, he went up to it and what does he do? He finds nothing. Now to to not speed past the context and to get straight to application, the reality is is that there are many people who show up on a Sunday morning, and and I'm not looking at anybody, but they show up on a Sunday morning, and they appear to have righteousness, and they appear to have fruit, and they appear to be holy, and they appear to be followers of Christ, but under inspection, they have no fruit and are actually spiritually dead. They know how to dress. They know what to say. They know whose hands to shake. They know where to get the coffee. They know where everything is at. They even know where the bathrooms are in the building. But under inspection, when Jesus gets up close, he discovers, just like he discovered on this fig tree, there is no fruit. They're actually dead. And Jesus always draws a line in the sand when it comes to things like this. He draws a line in the sand when it comes to sin, and he draws a line in the sand when it comes to hypocrisy. Jesus is always going to be inspecting the fruit of somebody's life to give an indication, are they bearing leaves that give the impression of fruit, or is there actually fruit on that tree? 
Now, this is not the first time that fruit has been discussed in the Gospel of Matthew. If you are familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, which we've been walking through it for several years now. But in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus has been baptized, and John the Baptist makes a comment right up quick. Look what he says in Matthew 3, verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The implication here of our modern day times, we might say the chainsaw is already revving to take out the dead trees. And so John the Baptist is calling out the religious hypocrisy of those who give an indication of growth and fruit. And yet they're dead inside. Later, in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 7, Jesus will be talking about those who give the appearance of fruit, but in reality there isn't any fruit. And he eventually says in verse 20, so in Matthew 7, 16 through 20 is where you can find this. In verse 20, Jesus says, you will know them, or you will recognize them by their fruit. Why? Because who you are will eventually come out of you. Who you are will eventually come out of you. They often say, well, you know, pressure produces character. And I I know that is true to a degree, but here's the reality. Pressure actually reveals the character that's already inside of you. So you might say, oh, pressure, it produces character. No, no, it merely reveals that which is inside of you. And so he says, you'll be able to recognize the sheep and the wolves. You'll be able to recognize those that are truly following me versus those who are not following me. You'll be able to recognize them at some point. Later, Jesus will say this in Matthew chapter 12, a good person produces good things from his storeroom. That's his heart of good. And an evil person produces evil things from where? The same place, the storeroom of evil. So at some point, that which is in you is going to come out. Now listen, friend, listen. The reality is, is that Jesus has very little patience For those who give the appearance of spiritual growth but are actually spiritually dead. And Jesus has talked about fruit all throughout this gospel. And now we're here at this place. And he's looking at a fig tree. And he immediately sees that there's nothing on it. And he curses it or he condemns it. He condemns it. Now you might sit here and go, man, that's so mean. Jesus is so mean to this fig tree. And you want to you hug that tree, and we'd call you a tree hugger, and that's fine. But Jesus is looking at this tree, and he's, an, he's doing an enacted parable. He's, he's playing out for them what he's seeing in the religious leaders of the day. And so we see here that he, you have this storeroom of evil. Jesus here, talking about fruit, is also going to indicate to us that fruit should be important in our life. Now, there's all kinds of passages throughout the New Testament we could talk about fruit, but the one that we highlight probably the most is Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control, above which there is no law. Paul is telling us in Galatians 5 that when you are truly a follower of Christ, there will be fruit that is produced from your life that is consistent with who he is. Listen, friend, the closer you get to Jesus, the more fruit is going to be produced. And one of those fruits, by the way, friend, is that you're going to be repentant. 
Now, we get this idea in our mind that the closer we get to Jesus, the less sin we'll have. And that hopefully is the case. But the reality is that the closer I get to Jesus, the more sin is revealed in my life. Because even the good things that I do are often done with ill motives. Let me just give you an example. You ever had your children need to go to, go to bed and they don't want to? But they've learned to play the game with you. So all of a sudden it becomes a safari, Sahari desert and their mouth is so dry they need water. And they come out, I'm thirsty. And then what happens after they're thirsty? They go to the bathroom. It's like this is the result of you being so thirsty. But then there's times where, and don't tell my children this, because y'all are going to now. I will be kind to them. Oh, that's, I'm so sorry you had this really hard day. And there's tears, and I'm doing good by listening and comforting them. But in my heart, I'm saying, you, you better go to bed. I'm outwardly, y'all know, you laugh because it's truth. Outwardly, oh, I'm so sorry, sweetie. Oh, I love you so much. They're there. Right? <clears throat> Sometimes Abby will text me while she's in those moments too. Or I'll text her this three-word, three-letter word, tag. And that means, like wrestlers, because that's what we're at at this stage, we just tag, I'm out, like, I'm going to get outside of the ropes, you're in, it's your turn, all right? And what, what's my point? The appearance outwardly of love and care and tenderness and sweetness, but internally, oh, wrath. Go to bed. Jesus has very little patience for those who give the appearance outwardly of righteousness and fruit and holiness, and yet under inspection they begin to be revealed. Their hearts are far from the Lord. Jesus and truth. But something interesting happens in the passage in verse 20. We see Jesus and faith. Look at what happens in verse 20. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. I think this is so interesting because the disciples have seen some pretty amazing things. If they did, in fact, go to Lazarus' house in Bethany, which is likely the case, I mean, seeing a guy walk out of a tomb after being certifiably dead, like going to the morgue and going, no, here he is, he's alive, he's like tapping on the little slide out, like, that's pretty amazing. I'm just going to put it on the list of like top three things that I've seen in my life, right? And yet, they're standing here, and they're looking at this fig tree that's been withered from the words of Jesus to this fig tree, and they're going, that's amazing. How did this happen? I mean, they know how it happened, but to see the power of God enacted in that moment on that tree, they're amazed at this. And Jesus, he gives this response in verse 21, and it feels, it feels like a left turn. It feels like Jesus has run the red light. He didn't give a, his blinker was not on. He just, woo, because he begins to talk about faith. And it doesn't feel like it fits, but it does. Look what he says in verse 21. He says, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. 
It feels like Jesus is taking a left turn here when he talks about faith all of a sudden. And when you read a passage in the scripture like this, you, you might be a little confused. And, and that's okay for you to sometimes look at a passage and say, I don't know what he's saying here. So when you approach a text, there's a couple of ways you could approach it. So, so for instance, with this text, you could read this literally. That Jesus is literally saying that if you walked up to a mountain or walked and looked at the Rockies, you could say, move this mountain, right? And then use some type of the force or whatever, just kind of wave your hand. That's for Star Wars. If you don't know what that is, you're probably better off. But move this mountain. And maybe you've done that before. There's a literal mountain. You're like, move this mountain in the name of Jesus. I don't have... I have faith. I don't have any doubts. Move the mountain. And there are some places in the scriptures that we do need to read literally, but, but I don't think this is a place where you read the scripture literally. I think you, you might read this passage figuratively. I, we'll use it like this, and, and I don't think it's awful, but I, think, I don't think this is what Jesus is getting at. We'll, we'll do things like this. Lord, the mountain of debt is so much... We need you to remove that mountain, lift it up, and throw it into the sea. Or this job interview is such a mountain in front of me. Would you lift it up and throw it into the sea? I have faith and I do not doubt. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's right before you uh, eat McDonald's or something, right? Lord, remove the calories that will negatively affect my life from this meal and bless it to my body. The irony sometimes of eating ice cream and asking the Lord to bless it is he already has. It tastes good. So, but we'll use this figuratively. And it, and it can be taken, it can really be taken to abusive places. But I don't, I don't think that's what's happening here either. Because there's, there's actually an article before the word mountain. He says this mountain. Now remember, Jesus, is, he's gone from Jericho to Jerusalem, then he's gone to Bethany, and now he's coming back into Jerusalem. And, and where was he headed when he was coming back into Jerusalem? He's headed to the Temple Mount. Here's what I think is happening here. I think Jesus, doing an enacted parable, a parable that's being acted out right in front of them, Jesus is saying, hey, the same power that was used to remove the life out of this fig tree, if you prayed with that same kind of fervency, you can look at this mountain, Temple Mount, and it will be lifted up and thrown into the sea. Now, what is Jesus getting at? Jesus has come because he has very little patience for things that appear to have life, but in reality are spiritually dead. Jesus has come into Jerusalem to do what? To be the final and better and greater and truer sacrifice for mankind. Jesus is about to say, no longer do you have to sacrifice doves. No longer do you have to sacrifice a lamb. I am the lamb, as even John the Baptist said in chapter 3 of Matthew, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is saying, I'm about to remove the sacrificial system. It will be lifted up and thrown into the sea. 
No longer will you have to travel to Jerusalem to make sacrifice. In fact, Jesus has said that he will tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. But what's he referring to? Not just the physical structure itself. He's talking about the fact that now, if you've trusted in Christ, the temple is inside of you. And no longer do you have to go to a priest for your prayers to be heard. Jesus says, I am the mediator of whom you come to, to go to the Father. And so he's tearing down the sacrificial system. And he says, if you have the same kind of faith that killed this, withered this fig tree, so this mountain will be lifted up and thrown into the sea. And we know what happens when something falls, even in a lake, it's hard to find. He's removing and he's replacing it with something better. Notice what he says in verse 22. He says, if you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So now, evidence of a fruit-filled life is a prayer-filled life. Evidence of a fruit-filled life is a prayer-filled life. Jesus is saying, those who are trusting in me, they're going to come and ask whatever they want in prayer. That prayer now is the indicator, is a marker, is the, the sign that you're truly following after me. If you have a prayerless life, it is likely you have a fruitless life. Evidence of fruit in your life is found in the way in which you pray. Evidence that you're walking and abiding in Christ, walking by the Spirit, is that you bring your request to the Father who is faithful to answer you and give you what you ask. And you don't have to be worried about it being selfish, although we sometimes have selfish requests, because if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord, you're abiding and walking in the Spirit of the living God, you will bring your request to the Father, and guess what? He is going to answer them because you've been abiding and walking in the Spirit, and because you have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you cannot abide and walk in the Spirit, and therefore whatever you ask will not be given. Given to you. It would be easy for us to say then, a prayerless life is a fruitless life. And Jesus has promised us in 1 John 5, 15, he, he said, the 14 and 15, he said, we can have confidence that whatever we ask, according to his will, he will give us. And if we know we have, he hears whatever we ask. We know that we have what we have asked for of him. We can walk with confidence, not because of our own abilities or we've said the right thing, but because we have trusted in Christ, because we're abiding in the spirit, we can ask the father because in fact, we're going to be asking all of it according to his will. And so often I'll talk with believers and they'll say very clearly, one of the biggest things I struggle with in life is my prayer life. But prayer may be an indicator, a marker of genuine fruit.
Have you ever struggled with somebody? I, I mean, listen to me. Like you just see the person and you're like, the Bible tells me that we're to love one another, but I don't like you, right? When you feel like that, it's easy just to dismiss and want to get angry and bitter. But, but what if evidence of the fruit, the spirit in your life is that you just begin to pray for that person? Like genuinely pray for them. Evidence of a spirit-filled life, somebody who's trusted in Christ, who's abiding in the spirit, is that they're going to want to pray and extend grace, the same amount of grace you get from the Father that you ought to be extending to another. And what I've found in my life when there are individuals in this world, surprise, surprise, that just sometimes just seeing, again, I'm not looking at anybody, or seeing their name pop up on an email, or maybe a text message, But maybe evidence of a prayer, of a, of a fruit-filled life is that you begin to pray for that person. And there's some of you in this room that really struggle with praying, period. Much less praying for those that you don't like very much. And so maybe, maybe here's where this lands for you today. You need to grab somebody and say, hey, I'm struggling with prayer. Like bringing things to the Lord. Will you pray for me that I would not struggle with that anymore? Some, some of you, you're, you've been so impressed by how righteous you are, and, and yet it's just giving signs and evidence that you truly aren't following the Lord because you haven't confessed sin in weeks, much less even thought about your own sin. You've been able to pinpoint everybody else's sin, though. Or maybe today... You, you can't get to the, I'm going to ask the Lord to do these things because we're all the way back here. You don't know Christ. You've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've heard the stories. You've sung the songs. But never once has there been a moment where you've trusted in Christ. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus. Not you working harder to please God, but knowing that only through Jesus you can be saved. You've displayed fruit, but under inspection, you're dead. I don't find it ironic that the first place we learn about fig leaves is not here in Matthew 21. The first place we learn about fig trees is all the way back to Genesis. Adam and Eve are instructed, you can have everything, just not this tree. And the second that they took a bite of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the moment they realized how dead they were apart from Christ. And what is the first thing they do? They grab fig leaves. 
to cover themselves, to hide their shame, and to hide their isolation. I know we cannot take anything physical from this life into the next life, but if we could, the one thing I would want in my casket would be a rake. I'd take that rake, and I'd walk through those pearly gates, and I'd walk straight up to Adam, and I'd say, thanks a lot, Adam. <laughs> All of our lives, we've tried to hide. Having to rake leaves has to be one of the most joyless things that we have to do in life. Pine needles, if you want to get more specific. How many of you are hiding behind fig leaves, concealing your shame, concealing your guilt? Jesus looks at you and he says, you have the appearance of fruit, but you're really dead. But friend, you don't have to stay there today. If you would just trust in Christ, believe that only through Jesus you can be saved, you, you can have life. We'll be here at the front here in a moment. We're going to sing. And part of your response is to say yes to Jesus. Maybe today you have been struggling with prayer. You, you need to grab somebody that was walking with you in life and say, hey, will you pray for me? That I would go to him with these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word. Lord, we ask that as we leave from here, we would not leave from here without doing business with you. How easy, Lord, it will be in this moment, in just a moment, to ignore what you by the Spirit have been convicting our hearts about. But Lord, we do not want to leave this room until we've done business with you. Lord, if there are those of us in this room that have for years given a display of fruit, but in reality we're far from you, that God, by your kindness, you would convict our hearts and we would repent and believe. For we know that repentance is evidence of fruit. And so, Lord, we're asking that you would do this work in us right now in Christ's name. Amen. If you're